morning. It's really good to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, if you're watching at home, uh, I know what that's like. I was there last week. Uh, welcome. Thanks for, for being here live at this time. If you're watching at a later time, uh, glad that you're, you're logging in and checking in and, and being a part of this. It's really good to to be gathered together. Quick, just quick update, uh, if you care, uh, it was 11 days ago uh, that uh, our son Owen said, uh, coming home from basketball practice, said, I think I have a scratchy throat. And we said, well, no, you don't. And he said, yeah, I do. And then uh, we tested him and he was positive and that test wasn't cheap. Um, there's a black market for tests that you know about. And so he tested positive and uh, we went into lockdown, quarantine, no fun zone, don't get to be around people thing. And uh, what that did is that through our uh, Sunday plans as, as we had them uh, up, up in the air. And Adam would, would not acknowledge this, uh, uh, but if, if you could do something with me. Adam uh, spoke last week, uh, continuing on in our Luke-Acts series, um, and I think he had about uh, 35, 36 hours notice. Um, and so can we just thank Adam for, for preaching on the fly like that? And so... Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, we did the video thing as we started our now and next Sundays last last week and, and recorded that and so um, watched at home last week, which is just not anywhere near as enjoyable and um, and fun. So especially when it's when it's forced and it's not required. So I uh, took a test. Uh, I took a test on Thursday. Uh, was negative and was was cleared for for human interaction again. And Abby tested. Uh, negative on on Friday, and so we're kind of back back to life as normal, and that that was our week. Um, and as we know, gosh, uh, numbers, cases, all of that is uh, so high right now. And so for those of you that are playing it safe at home uh, or in the corners of the balcony here, um, totally understand that. And we have uh, we we're not doing our meet and greet, um, and so uh, we're going to do it this way. Can you, if you're in the room and want to say hi to somebody, will you do that right now from your seat? Just say hi. Ready, go. And if you're at home, if you want to text and do that, you can, you can do that. Um, and so, well, we're going to give it the full two minutes, so just keep, no, we're not, we're not. Um, so, hey, uh, here's, here's what we want to do. I want to, I want to invite you to, to find a Bible and find your way to Luke chapter two. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to continue on in our series uh, in the book of Luke. Uh, a guy named Luke wrote this book. Um, and his whole goal was to present who Jesus is uh, to his friend Theophilus, who was questioning if he still believed in and wanted to follow Jesus, uh, because he saw what was happening to followers of Jesus in his world um, at that time, and so Luke talks to a bunch of people who knew Jesus and were with Jesus, and he writes uh, the book of Luke, uh, which is the third book in the New Testament, and then he goes on and writes the book of Acts, uh, which talks about the early church. And so um, if you're timing and, and mapping these things out, if you care, um, we are finishing chapter two today, and we're about two and a half months in. We started in November, went through December and Advent, and started in the new year. And so we're finishing chapter two, and we're two and a half months in. If, if you care, I, for some weird reason, care about those kind of things, so that means something to me. But if it doesn't, hopefully you found your way to Luke chapter two. I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at the text together. God, as we've done already this morning, we, we just declare that you are good and that you, you hold us in your hand, that you know exactly where we're at and what we're going through. Uh, you know uh, the fear that we feel, the anxiety that we feel. You know uh, the joy that we feel or that we want to feel. You know the things that we are excited about and that we're concerned about. 
and you're with us in all of that because you alone are the creator God who is good and powerful and merciful and just and you extend grace upon grace upon grace to us. And so we want to be a people who receive that from you today. We want to be a people who stand and declare and sing that you're good. And so would you help us to do that today? And Holy Spirit, would you, would you empower us? Would you empower our faith and deepen and widen it? Would it grow? Would you, would you give us a, a deep and confident sense of comfort today? Would you restore a confidence in us that we place in you, that you, God, are good. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do all of that work in us today, in this moment? And Jesus, as we look to, to words on pages that were written some nearly 2,000 years ago that are all about you, would you help us to, to meet you and experience you and see you and hear from you in a new way this morning? Would we encounter you? Would we be more convinced than ever that you know us, that you love us, that you're alive, that you are not dead, that you walk with us in this day, in this hour, in this life. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen. I, uh, I don't think I'm unique in this, but um, I, if, if you were to, to kind of go back over your, your lifetime and kind of um, section it out. Um, there's parts of our life that we remember, and there's parts of our life that we don't remember, and as we get older, those kind of get mixed up a little bit, but, you know, it, you know infancy and toddlers kind of stage of life, and then kind of uh, childhood, and then kind of middle school, high school, and then off into adulthood, college, young adult, and 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever it might be, wherever you are in that. If I, if I look at what I've lived to, to this point in my life, if there was a section that I could um, kind of just cut out and, and remove and have it not be a part of my life, for me, that section is middle school. I did not like middle school. I was not a well-adjusted um, young guy. Um, my body was changing, as that happens naturally with everyone. Um, my voice was changing. Um, I didn't know kind of which way was up or who I wanted to be or what people thought of me and all those kinds of things. And I, I, elementary school is great. And then I got into high school, and that ended up being great. But middle school was this time where just, I just didn't like. And I have wished and wanted um, often that uh, Jesus could just tell me what it was like for him to be a middle schooler. I, I, wish, I wish Jesus would just say, this is how I handled middle school, Tim, and this is what I would advise you to do. Now, there's plenty in Scripture of, of how, to, how to handle middle school, not explicitly, but just how to be a person a human being that God has created and how to go through life and great instruction for all of that that is a challenge to, to live out in middle school. But wouldn't it be great if there was just story upon story upon story in the life of Jesus of what middle school was like for him? That would be great. It's not in the Bible. We don't have that. But we do have one little snippet, one little scene, one little story of Jesus in middle school. Not actually like on campus in school, but at that age. He's 12 years old. In the book of Matthew, Mark, and John, the other gospels other than Luke, there's virtually nothing about Jesus' childhood. There's about being born, but nothing else. And in Luke, we've got this short little story about Jesus in middle school. And so we're going to look at that today. And if you've got your Bibles, it's in, it starts in, in verse 41 of chapter 2. And so I'm just going to read through it, and then I've got a few thoughts or observations that I think are helpful for us today that we can take from Jesus' one scene in middle school that we've got. Verse 41, chapter 2, the book of Luke. Every year, Jesus' parents 
went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Big party in Jerusalem. They would have traveled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. They would have done this over the course of their lives. Jesus is now, uh, we're going to find out, 12 years old in the next verse. Festival of Passover was this experience that, that Jews would, would, um, were commanded to experience, which was a great kind of long, several days long, week-long party. And uh, it was to acknowledge and to celebrate that God was faithful to them in, in bringing them out of slavery, out of Egypt. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So they traveled a big group of people, um, extended family and relatives and people from um, Uh, from Nazareth, I said Bethlehem earlier, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and uh, they're going back, and it was kind of this big, if you've ever been camping with a bunch of other families, and you kind of, you keep an eye on other other families' kids and that kind of a thing, um, that's kind of what was going on. So they head back and assume that Jesus is with another family in the whole caravan, and he is not. He has stayed behind in Jerusalem. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Now, you you might be wondering, like, what what irresponsible parents. Um, well, maybe you're not a parent. If somebody else is watching your kid for a day, like that's a, Joseph and Mary had a great day. So um, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, so it's been three days since they've seen Jesus. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and like not in a good way. They were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. They went home, and Jesus was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you're 12 right now, if you're a junior higher right now, if you're a kid right now, you're, you're prob- you hear that story, and if you picture it and kind of wonder what that's like, you're probably like rooting for Jesus. Like, way to go. Way to go to assert some independence and make some decisions on your own and go and be in Jerusalem, big city, by yourself, on your own. And then also, like, impress these really learned people that were educated and wise and the teachers of the city and, and, and hang with them. Like, that's kind of like a middle schooler's maybe, like, a little bit of a fantasy. Like, way to go. If you're a parent and you're going like, that's, that's scary. I know what that feels like to lose a kid for a few minutes or a few hours. You can't imagine it being a couple days and not know where he is and the anxiety that rises up. And no wonder Mary's the only one that talks and Joseph doesn't talk. If you're a dad, I don't know if you feel what I feel, but when I've lost kids and been fearful for them, fear immediately turns into anger. And I'm just angry at everything because my kid was threatened in some way. And so it's probably better I don't talk. Mom does the talking. And so Mary says... Why have you treated us this way? There's three things from this that I want us to, to consider this morning. And I, I kind of like in, in three words. I want to share three words with you, and I, I think they're, they're relevant. And they all tie back to a question that Adam asked last week. 
And not only did Adam ask it last week, but it's a question that Luke is focused on in every verse that he writes throughout the book of Luke. And it's this, this question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? See, the writer of this book is writing to his friend Theophilus. Luke is writing to Theophilus and he's saying, I, I want you to be reminded again of who Jesus is. In fact, he says it this way in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. He says, this is the reason I'm writing. He says this, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Because you met Jesus and you started following Jesus and believing him and started contouring your life around who Jesus is and who he claimed to be and the good news of the gospel. And you were changed by that. But then you started drifting and you started going in your own way and started asking different questions. And, and now you're, you're kind of wobbly in your faith. And so Luke says, Theophilus, I want to help you and remind you of who Jesus is. And not just remind you, like from my own life or my own story, but I'm going to go and talk to a bunch of eyewitnesses. And I'm going I'm to talk to all these eyewitnesses, and I'm going to write down a really coherent and clear story that is from people who saw and interacted with Jesus. And I'm going to put this all down, and it's going to be called the Book of Luke, because, well, I'm Luke and I'm writing it, so I get to title it. So it's going to be called the Book of Luke, but it's going to be all about Jesus and tell you who Jesus is. And now here we're winding down just the second chapter and we've seen witness after witness after witness of who Jesus is and now we hear from Jesus for the first time. But he's saying, I want you to know who Jesus is. The first word that I want us to consider that comes out of this middle school story in the life of Jesus is self-awareness. Jesus is growing in his self-awareness. We are growing or have the option, the invitation, to grow in our self-awareness over the course of our life. Now, when we hit middle school, it goes kind of haywire and super confusing. And then we begin to get tracks in high school and hopefully in college, and then if by the time we're in young adulthood, we haven't become decently self-aware, life becomes really complicated and it doesn't go very well. And what happens is we need other people along the way to help us become more self-aware. When we consider the savior of the world, God's Son, Jesus Christ, and his self-awareness, that is like this, it's a little bit like jumping over a cliff and not knowing when you're going to hit bottom of how deep it is. When you start asking questions like, how did Jesus understand himself? That can become an endless pit. It's uh, theologically deep waters. Jesus is 12 years old. Who did he understand himself to be? There are people who both believe in Jesus and don't believe in Jesus that have struggled with and wrestled with that question ever since Jesus was here walking around with his first disciples. Who did Jesus understand himself to be? That can be this deep theological waters that we jump off and go wonder, when are we going to hit some solid ground and get an answer to this? Because this is kind of blowing my mind. Of, did Jesus understand that he was God's son and did he understand he was going to be crucified when he was 12 years old? He was coming to an awareness of some of that. He didn't fully understand all of that yet, I believe. Let me say it this way. Um, this is my kind of theological summary of it. I believe that Jesus had to go to swimming lessons when he was a kid. Here's what I mean by that. For some of us, we went to swimming lessons when we were a kid, right? Maybe not all of us, maybe we, we learned on our own in a, in a lake or a pond or in a friend's backyard or in the ocean or something. I went to swimming lessons as a kid. Um, I went with my mom, I don't remember how old I was, I was fairly young, probably six, seven, eight years old, and we went and I learned how to swim at Mayfair Pool in Long Beach, California. And we went and we stood in line to get, um, to, to be able to buy swimming lessons, to sign up for it, and then we went back when the first one was about to happen and we went into this, what I remember is just this giant pool 
and we went, we went into the front gate, and then we went our separate directions, and my mom and my sister went this way, and I had to go this way because I had to go to the boys' locker room. And I went into the boys' locker room, and I remember feeling like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm gonna go through this locker room, and what do I have to do? And my mom kind of told me what I had to do, but I was so nervous that I was, had to go on my own that I kind of didn't catch part of it, and so I watched what the other kids did, and they put their stuff in a locker room and changed into their swim trunks, and, and then they had to do this, like, um, I'm sure that the girls' side didn't have to do this. This was just torture for the, the boys' side. But um, and I think it's, maybe they picked it up from prisons or something, where they make you go through the shower before you go in the pool. That's ridiculous. I don't know why we haven't outlawed that yet. But anyways, I went through it, and, it, and it's always like freezing cold water, right? So in case you thought you were going to have a fun day, this would ruin your day. So nervously changed and then went through this torturous experience of getting really, really cold and freezing and then going outside into what just seemed like the... Like, this is the most massive pool ever. And they're walking to the edge and walking down the little ramp that went into the water, if you're learning how to swim, and then beginning to learn how to swim. When I say I think Jesus had to go to swim lessons, I think Jesus had to go through the normal development that human beings go through because he was fully human. He was fully divine and fully God, and yet he was fully human. And he had to go through that. I don't think Jesus... When Mary was like, you got to go to your side and go through and, and take the cold shower and, and go, I don't think he went through and went like, yeah, I don't really want to change, so I'm just going to, in everybody else's eyes, I'm going to make them think I'm in my swim trunks. And I'm going to go through the shower, but I'm going to instantly change it to really warm, comfortable water. And then I'm going to go out, and instead of jumping into the water, I'm just going to go ahead and walk across the top of the pool and walk on water. Why? Because I'm Jesus. Like, Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't a toddler and hungry and then just went, okay, I'm just going to make like a donut up here in my hands because I'm hungry and my mom's not bringing me food fast enough. He didn't do that. He didn't just go, I am the creator of the world and I can do whatever I want. He went through the normal development and he was growing and becoming more self-aware. Jesus went through this process and we have this beautiful poem or song that is written by a guy named Paul who writes this letter to the Philippians and in Philippians chapter two and he says things like, Jesus did not consider him equality with God, something to be grasped. But he took on the very nature of a servant, becoming like us. And what it is, is it's this attempt to, to inform us and tell us and to celebrate and even in poetic song form say, Jesus humbled himself. And part of what that means is that he gave up his divine capacities in some way and said, I'm going to limit it for a time to walk among those that I've helped create and who I love and who I will eventually give my life for. And so he limited his capacity. And so he went through all these normal human experiences. And so what Jesus is doing is having just a few months or a few, a, one year prior gotten to a new level of training in his own hometown of Nazareth is now coming to the big city. And he says, I want to check out the chops that I've learned from those who are teaching me in my own city. And it happens to be that he is uniquely gifted. He wasn't walking across the water at swim lessons, but he did know more. And it says people were astonished at the questions he was asking and the answers that he was giving. That those who were spiritual leaders in Jerusalem, in the temple, the tops of the tops, he was able to sit around a lunch table in the temple courts and hang with as a 12-year-old. And he was unique, but he was growing in his self-awareness. He didn't fully understand everything that he was but he's growing and understanding who he was. And we see this in no clearer way in, in verse, uh, when it says 48 and, and 49, listen to it again. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, Did you, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
What's fascinating is that he's saying, I know who my father is. Father's house is the capital F here when the verse earlier is talking about Joseph and it's a lowercase f. Jesus is beginning to identify. I know Mary and Joseph are my human parents and I deeply love them and respect them. And it says later that he's going to go and be obedient to them. So it's not that he's being disobedient and detaching from them, but he's saying, I have to be in my father's house because I'm understanding that I am the son of God, that the God of the universe is my father uniquely than he is anybody else's. He's beginning to become self-aware of who he is. If Jesus is growing in self-awareness and one of the key pieces of his identity is that he is God's son, that God is his father, what does that mean for us? We go through this process of of, of increasing self-awareness. And again, like I said, if that gets stunted or ends at any point over the course of our life, life becomes very complicated. And if not for us, then certainly for those that are around us and close to us. That over the course of our lives, we're to become more aware of who God has created us to be and how he has wired us and what he's calling us to and what he wants for us to happen inside of us and through us throughout the course of our life. When we're 12 years old, that gets a little haywire. But as we go over the course of our life, would we grow in our self-awareness? What Jesus is modeling for us here and what we're invited into as we grow in our self-awareness is not some journey that is undefined without any boundaries and we can go wherever we want and define who we are in any way that we want. But rather, Jesus' journey of self-awareness is to determine our journey of self-awareness. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus has said, I am the Son of God. I am my Father's Son. I am part of the Trinity. I am unique. This is who I am. And because he understands who he is, and we're going to get to what he's going to do next, that then puts boundaries on who we understand ourselves to be. And the key piece of our self-awareness, of our identity, is who our Father is. Let me say it this way, who our Creator is. Whose we ultimately are. Who do we ultimately belong to? Some of us have wonderful parents and we're glad to belong to them and to be shaped by them. Some of us have delinquent and horrible and abusive parents and we're glad to be freed from them and ask that God would continue to heal us from their influence in our life. But deeper and more important than either of those stories is who's created us in the first place, is the God of the universe. And part of our self-awareness, the part that is most important is that we understand that the God of the universe created us, loves us, and knows us. That over and over throughout Scripture, through the Psalms, we're told that God created us in our mother's wombs, that he knit us together and made us, that we weren't some kind of accident, that we didn't happen unaware to God, and then we popped out and surprised God, and oh, there's another one. That he had a hand in bringing us into existence, and we are ultimately his. And because Jesus is who he is, our self-awareness gets put in a helpful, needed, limited space and would we grow and deepen in that space that we understand that we belong to the God of the universe that we're daughters and sons of his first and foremost there are infinite unending repeated voices in our life clamoring to tell us who we are and over the course of our life as we grow in self-awareness limited by who Jesus is and what he's done defined by that, shaped by that, contoured by him, we're going to get to a better, clearer, more hopeful, redeeming understanding of who we are and to begin to tune out the voices 
that take us off the reservation and in another direction and to lie to us and tell us we can define ourselves however we want, whenever we want, and can start over whenever we want. That doesn't go well. That's a lie. It betrays us. It harms us and then those around us. Jesus is growing in his self-awareness as a son of God and invites us to follow him in that. The second thing is this, and it comes through the same sentence in verse 48. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be in my father's house. When it says, I had to be there, he's talking about, there's another way to say that. It's to say, didn't you know that it's necessary that I do this? Which they didn't know. They, they hadn't realized that yet. And he's telling them, this is what I'm about. The second word, self-awareness is the first word. The second word that I think comes out of this story is the, is the idea and the word of mission. Jesus understood and was growing in his understanding of his mission that he was sent for a purpose, for a reason, that Jesus was sent to do something. He didn't fully understand, I don't believe here at this point, that he was going to be crucified. He didn't fully understand the, the, the pain and the, the experience that was going to go through, but he, he was beginning to understand, I'm about my father's house. Another way to say this, I'm about my father's business, which every male in that society would have known. Whatever my dad did, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become that. I'm going to become a carpenter like Joseph, my dad. And he's beginning to realize, nope, I'm hitting middle school. I'm self-differentiating from my parents. And oh, by the way, I'm the son of God. And I need to be with him at his house about his business, which is actually very different than just being a carpenter. That my other brothers will become carpenters, but I will not. I am meant for something different. Jesus is growing in his understanding of his mission. And again, in the same way that our identity and our self-awareness is to, is to be framed in the context of who Jesus is and what he's done, so is our mission. And each and every one of us have been designed for something. And it fits within the same context of Jesus would say, I'm about my father's business. God has uniquely designed and created each and every one of us to make a contribution for his good in our timeline, in our, our lifetime, and in our world that we're, we're called in to contribute in some way. For some of us, that's creating different forms of, of beauty. We, we have a, a unique ability as an artist or a designer in some way to create beauty and to bring beauty into the world. It might not be the beauty of the crucifixion scene or the resurrection scene or say explicitly Jesus, but just simply by bringing beauty into this world, we're partnering with, with God and who he's made us to be to bring that into the world. Others of us are uniquely good with understanding how systems work and things work. Others of us say, I, I know my calling is to be a dad or a mom, and it doesn't matter what else I do in my life, but this is the thing that I'm uniquely called to. Some of us are called to build things. Others of us are called to tear things down and recreate them. Some of us are going to start a business and have it flourish and be able to provide for others' incomes and homes and families. Others of us are going to be able to walk with people in moments of pain that bring unique redemption to their life. Each and every one of us have some unique calling. It might relate to our wage-earning activity, our vocation, but for some of us, it, it won't. But we have this sense deep in us that God has made us and created us for something. That's part of our mission or our purpose, and it fits in the context of who Jesus is and what he's done. We don't get to go our own way and think that we're going to meet God down the road when he joins us in what we've designed for our life. It's this lifelong process of saying, God, okay, I'm going to surrender further to you. Will you reveal to me who you've created me to be and what you've created me to do? 
we've found a, a process that has helped so many of us within this church family and many other church families that help get us to that place of understanding and, and awareness and clarity on what God's called us to do. We call it focused living, and we found it from um, a, a mentor of ours um, named Terry Walling, and one that was uh, in our church that many of us uh, know and remember, Paul Rhodes. And they walked us through this process, and we've done it a number of times, and there's actually some of us here that are trained to take others through it. Um, we had actually planned on hosting a focused living weekend um, in, I think, two weeks from today. Um, and because of uh, the spread in cases, we've delayed that. I think we're gonna, we've rescheduled it for May, so it's several months out. What it does is it takes a, a, an assessment of where we are in our self-awareness and our identity, a look at scripture of who God is and what he's done throughout the course of history and throughout the biblical story, and it helps us walk through a process that can, puts those two things together so that we can actually say, oh, I can see what God has been doing over the course of my life, that he's been walking with me, that he's been faithful in the painful moments and in the really good moments, in the things that I've succeeded in and the things that I have not succeeded in, that I can see how God is working through the course of my life and it, the best understanding that I have to date of what God's calling me to, my mission and my purpose, my contribution to his kingdom in my lifetime and in this world is this. We've seen dozens of people change where they put their time. We've seen a number of people change their vocation. We've seen a number of people move to join where God is leading them to go because they've gone through this intentional process. Jesus was only in middle school, so he wasn't quite doing it yet but he was gaining an understanding of what his mission was to be, and it was about his father's business that started at his father's house. And we wanna walk and spend time equipping ourselves as followers of Jesus to be able to say, this is the thing that God has called me to. And then, who God has called us as Mosaic, as a church, is to be a, a church family, a body that celebrates that, supports that, breathes life into that, and helps resource that however that can happen. And so if you've been through it, thank you for going through it and would love to hear more of your story. If you've been trained to help others go through it, can't wait for you to exercise that training and walk with others. If you've not gone through this process, would you consider setting aside the weekend? I forget the exact dates. It'll be on the website soon. In May, we've got plenty of time to, to do the pre-work and the stuff that walks into that, but it's a Friday night and Saturday and then on Sunday that walks us through a process of going, this is the mission that God's called me to. And now I want to move forward and finding out how I can jump into that and to be a part of it. Jesus was growing in his understanding of his mission, and he invites us to, over the course of our life, to step into it. Here's the third one, the last one. Where this all happens matters. Where this happens matters. Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem, but he stays where? At the temple courts. Like I said, we've gone two chapters in, and we've heard witness after witness after witness that is pointing to Jesus. And this is now the fourth key interaction at this particular place at the temple. The temple was the center place of Jewish culture at that time. And, and that's why Joseph and Mary would have taken Jesus and gone to Jerusalem for the, the festival of Passover. But specifically at the temple, we find Zechariah first hears from an angel in chapter one. Then we find, uh, last week we looked at Simeon um, seeing, meeting Jesus in the, in the temple. And then Anna is, in, is a third conversation that happens at the, at the temple. And now Jesus is back at 12 years old at the temple, hanging out, debating with these Pharisees and teachers of the law and the spiritual leaders of the city. At the temple, man, the temple is this physical, visible center of the city, center of their life and culture, representation of God being present with them. What the temple represented is that God's chosen people, that God was with them. It's why it's so devastating when the people go into exile. 
as we've read uh, last fall in Jeremiah, as people were unfaithful and God said, I'm gonna lovingly discipline you by taking you out of the land for a generation and putting you in, in Babylon. And the temple uh, is, is destroyed a number of times throughout history. And it's so devastating because it's this physical representation. And when they're away from the temple, they're questioning, is God even real? Is God still with us? Because God was present. Heaven touched earth at that place in the Holy of Holies where God was present with his people. And so Jesus is at that place. And we can look at this representation of God's presence with his people. And at the same time, we can relate to what Mary and Joseph would have felt when they went searching for Jesus because he wasn't with them. Jesus was no longer present with Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph were scrambling to get back to where Jesus was and to find him and say, you gotta be with us, you have to come home with us. And we can relate to that. And isn't it fascinating that the very, very first words that we hear from Jesus in the book of Luke or why are you searching for me? I don't know this for certain, okay? So this is just kind of Tim's wonderings and thoughts. But I wonder what it was like for Theophilus to read the first words of Jesus on a book that is written saying this is who Jesus is. The first words that Theophilus reads from Jesus is why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? And I wonder if he stepped out of the narrative of the story and for a moment went, is Jesus speaking to me right now? Because I am searching for him. I want to know who he is. I want to be certain of that and confident of that. And here he is asking me, why are you searching for me? Well, I can tell you all the reasons I'm searching for you. Because I know that my life is incomplete without you. Because none of this makes sense. Because hope is attached to you. And when I put hope in other things, it just dissipates and falls apart and cracks. That I need you, that I'm searching for you. And we have Mary and Joseph who are searching for Jesus. And he looks at them and says, why are you searching for me? When I read that, when I consider that Jesus is modeling this, being present with his father at the temple, and Mary and Joseph anxiously wondering where he is and finding the most natural place, of course he's going to be there. They know who he is, that he's with his father. And how many times we're searching for Jesus and we're searching for him while we're going our own way. And we're saying, yeah, Jesus, why aren't you with me? Well, he is. We just don't experience him very much because we're inviting him to, to think like us and to go where we're going and to affirm every decision and idea that we have. I love it how N.T. Wright says it. He, he says it this way. One more. But if and when we sense the lack of his presence, we must be prepared to hunt for him, to search for him in prayer, in the scriptures, in the sacraments, and not to give up until we find him again. We must expect, too, that when we do meet him again, he will not say or do what we expect. He must be busy with his father's work, and so must we. One of the uncomfortable realities is that when we, now this isn't the only explanation, or maybe even the most common, but when we experience a disconnection from Jesus, when we experience that he is not present with us, that we're not hearing from him, that we're not confident that he's near, that it could be because we've gone our own direction and we've expected him to keep up with us. That doesn't mean he's not with us, but there's a difference between being with us and being excited about where we're going. 
And what N.T. Wright is suggesting, and what we know, because we've, we've lived it in experiences, and when we turn and we actually search for Jesus again, not waiting for him to show up, but search for him and hunt for him in places that we know he is in Scripture, in prayer, in the sacraments. I love that sacraments. If you don't know what sacraments are, it's taking communion together, which we're going to do right now. Another sacrament for us is baptism. Well, we're going to baptize somebody, and hopefully more than one somebody, but, but when we baptize someone, that's this sacrament that's practiced that Jesus said, do this, be baptized, do this and remember to me, take communion. When we return to those things and say, Jesus, I want to meet you, and I want to meet you in these things, I realize I might be going my own way, and I don't meet you in the same way when I go my own way. And so I'm going to turn and go back to you. And then I love also the, the gentle but honest and truthful reminder is that when we do meet him again, he might not actually say the things that we want him to say, expect him to say, or that he said before. It might be shocking, surprising, disconcerting, reorienting, stretching, convicting, surprising. It might be things we don't expect. And would we be a people that are growing in our understanding of who we are as daughters and sons of Jesus and how that sets us on a trajectory to make a contribution to be on the mission that Jesus is on in our world and in our time? And would we be willing to hear new and different things from us that maybe are unsettling and yet realign us to where he's leading us and to where we want to go? Because we search for him and we find him in the places that we know that he is. He's in his father's house and present with his father. He's in prayer and scripture and the sacraments. And we would return to those things over and over. It's the very reason we do it. And we're going to do this right now. And so I'm going to pray for us. If you don't have a, a cup or one of those things, you can run out to the lobby and grab them. If, it, if you're at home listening or listening another time, if you just pause for a second and, and grab a little bit of juice and, and a cracker, a piece of bread, water, bread, whatever you've got, it's okay. Be, be a little bit creative if you're at home and you need to do that. If you're here in the room, we lift up the, the clear ceiling off the top and reveals a little wafer and then push down the silver and peel back. So let's open these up together, and then I'll pray. Jesus, we in this moment declare you as our Savior and as our King, as the one who gave his life after living a perfect life on the cross for us. You were dead, you were buried, and then you conquered death and rose again. And because you are alive today, you've invited us to live as your daughters and your sons to live on mission with you in the ways that you've designed and created and called us to in this life and in this place. And would we experience you and hear from you on a daily, regular basis? And would you be in a gracious, gentle way, if possible? And if it needs to sting a little bit, we want to be open to that as well, of adjusting and helping us to come and join you where you are. Thank you for your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. It's our way to hope and salvation and healing. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.